0: open your Bibles to Daniel chapter 6. If you're visiting with us today, we're doing a chapter by chapter, verse by verse study of the book of Daniel. Um, And haven't the last few weeks been awesome uh, with Eric and Alan preaching? Eric preached Daniel 4, Alan preached Daniel 5, and Eric reminded us of the great mercy of God for the hardest of sinners. You remember Nebuchadnezzar and his Arrogance, self seeking, self glory, and the depth of God's mercy toward him in spite of his great sin. Um, And do you remember Daniel's attitude? That's what got me, one of the things that got me out of Eric's sermon was Daniel, how Daniel was being shaped to be like his God in the way he expressed mercy to Nebuchadnezzar. Even though Nebuchadnezzar had thrown his three best buddies in a fiery furnace and yet he was still merciful to him. Alan taught us about the writing on the wall. That's where that phrase came from is Daniel 5 and that there's a sure and certain judgment for everyone who will not turn from their sins. And there is a sure and certain salvation that awaits everyone who turns from their sins and turns in faith to God for salvation. And I loved the end of the sermon, what he said. He said that the same hand that wrote the judgment on the wall is the same hand that bore the judgment on the cross. So good, so good. If you haven't heard those two sermons, please go back to our website and listen to them, your soul. It will be well with your soul to hear those sermons. This morning, as we prepare to read Daniel 6, I'm just going to ask you to keep a simple thought in mind, and it's at the top of your page. It's the title of the sermon, Fear the Lord, Not the Lions. Let's read Daniel chapter 6. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three presidents, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give an account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful And no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document an injunction when daniel knew that the document had been signed he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward jerusalem he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his god as he had done previously Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. And then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any God or man within 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or the injunction you have signed that makes his petition three times a day. And then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him And then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. And then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, Oh, may your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. And then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. And then at break of day, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out, In a tone of anguish, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no harm. And then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. Can you imagine (laughs) all that conversation is going on while he's still surrounded by lions? Oh yeah, let's get him out of there. I'm sorry. Anyway, so Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces. Then King Darius wrote to the people's nations and languages that dwell in all the earth, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in my royal dominion and all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lion's. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Well, Heavenly Father, would you, would you speak to us? God, would you speak to us as clearly for this chapter as any chapter? Because, Lord, it's one of those that we think we already know, but may, may not really understand. So, Lord, help us to not check out because we think we know this part. Would you speak to our hearts and work the intent of the text into the purpose of our lives? We love you, we need you, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you noticed that it seems that a common way people say goodbye now is to include the phrase, be safe. Have you noticed that? It's beca- it's, 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 I, I don't think it's just me. I think it's, it's becoming something of our vernacular. Or have a safe day. You know, given all that our nation is going through in regard to pandemics and political and social and racial unrest, rapidly eroding moral values, the, the, the degradation of the sanctity of marriage, economic fears and pressures, just a a continued rabid passion for abortion. And a culture who seems to have its first response to anything as being anger. It doesn't take anything to set somebody on fire. To hear someone say, have a safe day, sounds like it might be the highest blessing we could ever bestow on somebody. But as followers of Christ who seek to interpret our lives through a biblical and missional lens, should the pursuit of a safe life, should that be our guiding light? And is following the Lord always the safest option? It wasn't for Christ, was it? To ensure you understand what I'm not saying, I'm not saying to live foolishly. I'm not saying we live carelessly. We should live wisely in regard to if it's cold outside. You should dress warm. (laughs) Don't text when you drive. Don't play with fire. Finish all the antibiotics in your bottle. But the drumbeat seems to be getting louder every day. The safe life is the best life. As though the safe life can take away your fears... That the safe life can make us death proof? Oh my. Given all that is going on in our country and city, including all that might be happening in your marriage, let's bring this close to home, with your children, in your job, at your school, with other health issues maybe that you're having besides COVID, with your finances. Let me ask you this. What are you most fearful of right now? And nobody can check out with that one. All of us have some pockets that spur that fear. What are you most fearful of right now? And what would a safe life look like in regard to your fears? Given all that is happening in our world, our country, our city, and our personal lives, what would you consider to be the safest way to live? There's an essay question for, for a student. What would you consider to be the safest way to live? And answer that as a Christian. What would you say? I think Daniel 6 provides us with a wonderful biblical lens of how to think about safety and how to battle fear in a time where following the Lord really could prove dangerous. <laughs> following the How about this for a bumper sticker? Following Christ may be dangerous to your health and yet actually be the safest place on earth. Here's a main point for Daniel 6. Daniel 6 teaches us that the greatest danger a believer faces is not the roar of prowling lions, but the rot of a prayerless life. So fear the Lord, not the lion's. And I just want to really drive this point home in the introduction and let this theme carry through. I think the the, the text just oozes this, but I want you to so see this early on. The same thing happened with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is in your notes. The greatest danger faced by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was not the bellowing inferno, but bowing down to idols. Parents, are, are we listening to this? Because we are working so hard on so many things, and we need to with our children. But are we warning them of the dangers of a prayerless life? Are we warning them of the dangers of bowing down to idols? Just to drive this home, can just continuing in our study, Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way about Daniel 6. Better to be a child of faith in a den of lions than a king in a palace without faith. I really got a lot out of this too. As believers, we can be assured that we will be spiritually alive and eternally secure no matter what danger befalls us. If we are doing God's will, we may not be physically safe, but we are secure. Our sanctuary lies in the promise that no ill can befall us, but that God who loves us infinitely allows it. And if he allows it and we die, we will be ushered into his eternal presence. So if we replace the word safe with the synonym secure, we will be stating what is true. You are never more secure than when you are in God's will. I thought that's so helpful. So all of that, I pray, will just prepare your heart as we unpack the text. The first point this morning is from verses 1 through 9. The lions you face each day are a greater danger than the lions in the lion's den. The lions you face each day are a far greater danger than those roaring lions that we hear maybe just echoing in the distance that are just isolated to the lion's den. For the first few chapters of Daniel, we referred to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as teenagers, teenagers. And there was a purpose for doing that. One, because I want to cast vision to our young people that they can follow hard after Christ as teenagers. I want to encourage parents that we think too small of what our kids can embrace and grasp. And, and they, they, I'm not, I'm going to get Let's Just stay focused, Billy. Stay focused. Our teens can comprehend so much and we tend to feed them so little about the Christian life. So there's, there's a reason for that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel were... The, 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 the scholars and theologians and historians think that these guys were... The, the story started when they were about 14, 15 years old, maybe younger. Well, now Daniel is 80 to 85 years old. This is a different part of the story, isn't it? He served these pagan empires. I want you to think about this. He has served in the government... And, and hoping maybe there would be a better, maybe maybe the next administration will be good. Maybe the next administration will, will make us great again. Maybe the next administration. He has, he has no hope of that. He, he just serves again and again and again in pagan, ungodly, unbiblical administrations. And he serves faithfully for some 65 years, which reminds us that, that we can live an uncompromising life for Christ in in, um, secular employment. It's, It's such an inspiration. It may be costly, but it's possible to bring glory to God through the excellence of your vocation, even if you're surrounded by unbelievers. And it's also a good reminder and a hope to us that growing older does not mean that our faith needs to fade as we get older. It actually inspires us that our faith can flourish. So I want to speak to, to older parents, maybe your grandparent age right now. And I've never spoken to anyone, and I'm 61, I'm going to be 62 soon. So I've never spoken to anyone older who doesn't, doesn't have an ability to pretty quickly say, I regret this. I wish I could have changed this about the right way I raised my kids. I'll, I'll, I'm, I've told you before, I think I could do a better job being a dad now than I was when I had my kids. What was the Lord thinking? Giving people who know nothing about raising children children. Because it makes us need the Lord, doesn't it? <laughs> and, I have so many regrets. I have so many memories of of my raised and angry voice. I have so many memories of the way I tried to motivate my sons by guilt instead of grace. But you know what is such good news for an aging parent, grandparent? Is that some of the greatest times of influence of our lives can be now whether it's like Alan was saying in children's ministry, whether that's, whether that's in, a, in a changing and maturing relationship with your children, whether that's being gospel grandparents to your, to your grandchildren. Oh my goodness, there's a lot of hope in that, isn't there? Well, Darius set up Satrap's governors and then he established three officials to rule over them, of which Daniel was one. And you heard, Daniel has this excellent spirit and Darius intended to set him up as second in command over the whole kingdom. Makes us think about Joseph and his life. It's possible to serve, uh, so I'm sorry, so his promotion provokes jealousy, at least it seems to, but from the text. Seems to provoke some racism Because you heard how they referred to him as that exile from Judah. The satraps did not want this Jewish prisoner of war ruling over them. So they set out to discredit him. But they could find no fault against him. When they tried to dig up dirt on Daniel, they could not find anything. There were no skeletons in his closet. There were no questionable tweets when he was a teenager. He drove the speed limit. He got to work on time. He paid his taxes. Can you imagine, can you imagine having a group of people hate your guts and they send private detectives to follow you every second of your life? (laughs) You know, that happened to me. (laughs) My first day in ministry our senior pastor called me up to his office and he said, we're being sued for $7 million. This is my first day as this my full-time pastor. I was like the little pastor in the back window with bobblehead, you know, I'm just so excited to be a pastor. And and I'm just, I just want to serve people and preach the word. And we're being sued for $7 million. And you better watch your P's and Q's because from what I hear, private detectives have been assigned to each one of us. So you better watch out and you better not cry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness. There's no way that I could live up to that. There's no way. I blew it last Sunday. I was talking to a couple of ladies in the church The kids were around. Jan came to ask me a question. And publicly, I spoke with angry impatience to my wife. I couldn't even get through a Sunday without any detectives following me. So can you imagine what's going on with Daniel? And it seems that what made him live this life of reproach was his life of prayer. We're going to unpack that. So, the only way that they could bring Daniel down is to create a law that says he can't pray to God. That's it. We know he'll break that law. And then we can find him guilty of being a follower of God. Would would it be? Oh, would it be that the only thing I could be guilty of is being a devoted follower of Christ? Wouldn't you like to be that way too? Oh, God, change us. Please make us like that. What a testimony that even our enemies would know that when we're pressured, we're going to pray. <laughs> when we're pressured, we're going to turn to our sovereign God. When they tell us to be quiet, we're going to, we're going to tell the gospel with even more volume and joy. When threatened, we're going to obey. To trap Daniel, they have to deceive Darius, so they lie. All the high officials and satraps, they agree. They agree. You should create a law that for 30 days, no one can pray to anyone except King Darius. We all agree, King Darius. Um, (laughs) We all agree. What did Daniel have to say about this? They're a bunch of liars, aren't they? Daniel was at the head of the class. But that doesn't matter, we all agree. Can I, can I ask you to be careful about that? And you've, you've been in this situation where you've had to make a leadership decision and a few people don't like what you've decided and they come up to you and say, everyone thinks that what you guys are doing is really bad. Everyone? Really? Or is it just you and your two or three buddies? who seemed to grumble about most everything anyway. Be let's be careful about that. Let's be careful about that. So they use the pressure of population trying to pressure Darius into making this decision and then they appeal to his pride this will be good for the empire as a newly installed king, this will be a way of bringing unity to the empire under your rule. Sort of like our, our, you know, when we have a new president, that first hundred days, right? So here's the way to bring unity to the United States. Executive orders, right? I mean, that's going to bring unity. Well, here's what he's doing. There, there's a, oh yeah, this is going to bring unity. Oh, Darius, get everybody to just pray to you. And you know where they're going with this. That's why the first subpoint says that the lions you face every day are more dangerous than the lions in the den. And it wasn't just for Daniel. It's the daily experience for anyone who follows Christ. Let's look at these passages, Genesis 3:15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And of course, he goes right into the first prophecy about Christ's coming. The first gospel proclamation is in just the remaining part of that verse. But when you wake up, precious saint, when you wake up, parents, when you're discipling your children, are we teaching them that they wake up in a war zone? Do you know you're waking up in a war zone between light and darkness? And it's the lions in your day-to-day life that have a lot more influence on your life than the ones in the den. Jesus put it this way, if the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 1 Peter 5.8 just gets really specific about this text here, doesn't it? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Chapter 6 teaches us that the life of faith is a life that has to endure. That's why we believe in the doctrine of the preservation of the saints, perseverance of the saints. Because only God could keep us safe. Only God could keep us saved. And the life of faith has got to endure. How many of you, you've gone through a really bad trial, and there's just this fleeting thought that says, man, I'm glad that's over with. So hopefully that's the worst that I'm going to have to face in life, right? That's not the way the Christian life is, is made Just because you've had a past rescue or a past victory or you've gotten past a a, a prior trial doesn't mean that there's more trials ahead. It doesn't mean that God's going to keep you from another trial because there's a war between the flesh and the spirit. There's a war between light and darkness. There's enmity between the seed of the woman and the serpent. Satan is constantly trying to devour your faith. That's right. It's not like he's wanting to just get a pound of flesh. He's wanting to get a pound of faith. That's what he's wanting to break. That's why we're going to go to this, this prayer life of Daniel and why a prayerless life is, listen, a prayerless life is the biggest danger any of us face today. It's the biggest danger because it sets you wide open for the devourer to take a chunk out of your faith. That's what's hurting us as a church. It's a weak faith caused by a compromised prayer life. Life of faith needs to endure to the end and trusting the God who will enable it to endure to the end. You might be going, Kelly, you're really sounding grumpy today. Do you have a coffee? No, because Phil won't let me drink coffee. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry Phil and I'm sorry Phil because I cheat I do drink some coffee anyway Um, man at the minimum aren't you being a grumpy grandpa this isn't paranoia you need to be prepared This isn't paranoia, it's preparation. And how did Daniel prepare himself to fight this spiritual war? To live a life above reproach and to be a witness to the world, to to turn from sin and to turn toward God. And please understand where we're going here. It wasn't just that he prayed when it got hard. The the, the life that God wants to give a believer is a habit of prayer. Prayer. Not a few crisis moments of prayer. So let's see how that unfolds. Second point is this. A prayerful life will not always be a safe life, but it will provide security of soul to stand firm in your faith, regardless of the cost. And let's see how that, that unfolds here. What was Daniel's response? I mean, this is unbelievable. You, you've been found guilty of following Jesus. And, and what's the penalty? The lion's den. So what did he do? He did what he always did. He prayed. He prayed. His uncompromising commitment to meeting with and depending upon God in prayer. That's what he did. There wasn't even a choice. What are, are you kidding? Oh, lion's den? Lord, I come and I thank you. That's what he always did. He cultivated that attitude of heart. It wasn't a crisis that brought him to his knees. The habit of prayer gave security to his soul. And it prepared him to face the crisis. That was the way he faced every day. He sought the Lord in prayer. For Daniel, the greatest danger would be to forsake his life of prayer to the Lord than to fear the prowling lions. Fear the Lord, not the lions. Elizabeth Elliot. Oh my goodness, she lived such a quotable life—not, I mean, a memorable, exemplary life. She had a similar focus about her prayer life. Her first husband, you know, was martyred. Jim Elliot was martyred as a missionary. Not as many people might know, her second husband died of cancer. What would your attitude be to the Lord? that you're two for two. I've been married twice and they've both been taken from me. One of Elizabeth, this is in your notes, one of Elizabeth Elliot's friends asked how she endured such sorrow and loss in the death of not just one, but two husbands. And Elliot replied, I keep my eyes fixed straight ahead to Christ and I only watch the world out of the corner of my eyes. I love that. I love that. That's what a life of prayer will give to you. It will help you fix your eyes on Jesus like nothing else. It doesn't think, So think about what's most fearful to you right now. If your eyes are fixed on Jesus and all you see is that little thing out of the corner of your eyes, it's still a thing, but it looks way smaller, doesn't it? When your eyes are fixed on him. So let's, let's look at a couple of things about his prayer life. Did you notice it was on his knees? And I think that's an important thing because we turn to God in prayer. We remember God is gracious, but please never forget that he sits on a throne of grace. I, I, sometimes I think we get a little too casual. It's a throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. But it's still a throne. And let's honor him like a king when we, when we come to him. What about this? He's praying toward Jerusalem. What was that about? Well, that's actually Daniel knowing his Bible. So he's not just a, a man of prayer. He's a man of the word. And, and he remembered 1 Kings chapter 8 when Solomon was praying his dedicatory prayer of the temple. And he said this, when your people sin against you and you send them into exile, isn't that interesting? When they turn toward Jerusalem and the temple, please have mercy on us, Lord. Well, that's what Daniel is doing. To pray toward Jerusalem was an expression of trusting in the covenant keeping and steadfast love and faithfulness of God. Daniel was essentially looking to the place where God met with man through the shed blood of an innocent sacrifice. We look to someone greater than a temple, don't we? We look to an even greater temple, an even greater meeting place between God and man, where the innocent blood of the Son of God was shed for the sins of the guilty. Daniel looked to the east. Here's, it would be very similar to us. When, so today, when you were singing your praises and lifting up prayers, um, were you sometimes doing this? You were looking up. Well, that's what, you're, you know you're an exile here. This world is not your home. When we look up, we're remembering where our true home is and who the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords is. That's really similar to what Daniel was doing when he was looking toward Jerusalem and remembering the temple there. And what was he praying? <laughs> so immature Billy Ray's, this would have been my prayer. Hey! Help. that would have been my prayer that would have been my pr- not a bad prayer so don't I mean crying out for help is not a bad prayer but here I'm, just, I'll just spill my guts to you so much of my prayer life is problem centered oh here's a, even a stoplight I'm oh my I'm gonna be at this light two, three cycles <laughs> my, my maturity is puny guys I turn to God. There's a problem here. There's a problem there. Please hear this. If if your prayer life is mainly problem focused, really that's going to take you nowhere more than just really living a self-centered life. If if you're just problem focused, it's coming back to, I want my best life now. I just don't, this hurts. I don't like this. this. I'm worried. This is. Listen, so here, don't hear what I'm not saying. Oh my goodness, let your request be made known to God. But Daniel doesn't start with a problem as the focus. How does he start? You tell me. He gives. One person said. Let's go back and read the text again. How does he what does he do? He gives He gives thanks. This isn't problem focused, this is God focused. He gives thanks, starting with Thanksgiving, and I don't. I'm not talking about polite thank yous. We're not talking about that. This is worship. This is recognition. Starting with Thanksgiving calls our souls to attention. Talking to God about my problem isn't always reviving my soul. How about you? But when I give thanks to the Lord and I call upon His name, there's something that it does to my soul. My soul rises up and stands at attention to the God who has proven faithful. And that's why I'm thanking Him. That brings glory to Him. And it brings fresh faith about our problems, doesn't it? So now we can start dealing with our problems because we've already rehearsed the gospel. We've remembered that I deserved judgment. I deserved utter wrath. I deserved an eternity of judgment and wrath in in hell because of my treasonous sins against God. But God was rich in mercy. And Christ died in my place, bearing my wrath and shame so that I could be forgiven and adopted and given a right standing with God. Oh, thank you, Lord. Lord. And you look, just, and, and then you get into just the day-to-day mercies that he's given you. And that's what Daniel's doing. His prayer life is most known for his thanksgiving. And God may ours be as well. His habit of prayer and remembering the character and mission of God. It, it, it's, this kind of prayer life will keep us from making an idol out of Safety. You guys, we're never going to reach the world for Christ if safety is the idol of our lives. We're never going to reach the world. We're never going to go into hard places. We're never going to have that hard conversation with great-grandpa who gets mad every time you bring up Jesus. We can't make safety the goal. A life of prayer was non-negotiable for Daniel. He needed prayer like he needed air. He prayed in front of an open window like usual. <laughs> you want to say Daniel it was just 30 days. Wasn't there a room without a window? Couldn't you just pray in your heart? Couldn't you just pray in your heart? No. You know why? Because his prayers to God were his witness to the world that there was only one true God worthy of worship and obedience. And I want to see, I want the world to see what it looks like to turn and depend and trust and worship Him. So of course he prayed by the window just like he always did. That's why we say a prayerless life disconnected from depending upon God was a greater danger than death by lions. Fear the Lord, not the lions. And even Darius knew that Daniel's faith was not just a religious obligation, but a way of life. May the God you serve continually, did you notice how he said that? He knew Daniel's faithful life before the Lord, that nothing was going to turn Daniel away from his commitment to bring glory to God. You know, I think one of the ways that the Holy Spirit will help you on your day of crisis, maybe on that day where you're hearing that you're going to be called to, to account and it may be not be dealing with a den of lions, but maybe with an angry boss who's pretty perturbed that you're not living, you're not kind of following in the, the corporate philosophy that seems to be more woke than, than wise. There's two W words. You know the way that God prepares you for that day? Seek the Holy Spirit's help today. Now, I'm hoping that by now, if I were to ask for a show of hands, of how many of you say, listen, if you want to end right now, I would love to ask the Lord to renew my prayer life. I, I, I would raise both hands. Well, I want to inspire you about how God wants us to have a deeper life of prayer. Let me ask you this. Where are the roaring lions up in your life right now? Where, where do you need to turn to the Lord and give thanks? It could be at work. And you're being pressured to go against your convictions as a Christian. Maybe it's about race relations, sensitivity, training. And you know it actually fosters more division than it will unification. You could lose your job. Or maybe just at least stall out. You're not going to receive any more promotions. Maybe you're single and you're surrounded by a culture that determines sexual morality by what is common And then calls what is common normal, which makes you abnormal. You see, sex outside of marriage is so common, it must be normal. That makes you self-righteous for you to tell me anything else. Maybe you shared your faith with a next-door neighbor, and not only did they reject the gospel, but they rejected you. And now they're spreading gossip to other neighbors about how intolerant you are. What about the whispers you hear that tell you, don't confess your sin to a brother or sister? Don't ask for help to overcome a sin pattern in your life. What if your mom and the accusations of not being mom enough are just so hard to silent? And you're fearful that your failures are defining you, and even worse, you're fearful that your failures are defining your children. Well, when Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, upward we look and see him there, the one who made an end of all our sin. The satraps turn Daniel in and they can't get him in the lion's den soon enough. Darius makes some effort to save him, but the satraps were immediately there to say, No law of the Medes and Persians can be changed. And Daniel's lowered into the den. A stone was rolled over the mouth of the den and was sealed by the king's signet ring. And the king goes to his safe, secure palace where he couldn't sleep. (laughs) The illusion of safety that it'll bring security to your heart. It's such a... And if we were doing a movie here, don't you want to say... What in the world? Why is the camera going to the king's palace? What in the world's happening in the lion's den? Isn't that funny? I think, that, I think what the Lord is saying, hey, he's good. He's good. I want you to see what a prayerless life will get you. I want you to see what an idolatrous life will get you. It will not give security to your soul. And look at Darius. Daniel, you'll see. Right? And that's what we're going to see next. So our security, in the last point, our security will not come from being like Daniel, but by trusting in Daniel's God. And I wanted to say that because, remember, this series isn't to say, okay, so you need to have a prayer life like Daniel. <laughs> I would have to be at the front of the line to say, well, I messed that up because I don't have a prayer life like Daniel. Well, let's, let's finish this. The stone is rolled away, the king calls out to see if by some miracle Daniel survived and Daniel says, oh king, live forever, which was so self-controlled and so merciful because if it was me, hey Billy, are you okay? Here's me, yes, no thanks to you. That's I mean, oh my goodness. God sent his angel, O oh king. He manifest his presence in my problems, O oh king. He brought Daniel into an even closer fellowship with God through his trials, O oh king. And he shut the lion's mouth. God met me in the lion's den. And you know what? It was no surprise because God met me every day in prayer. See, that's what the Lord's... Listen, guys, God wants... He's so good. And He wants to meet with us if we'll just go to Him. He will. He'll pour out all kinds of grace. He'll encourage your soul. He'll renew your faith. He'll make joy to be your strength. Just come. Can you just see His spread out arms and His smile saying, just Come but the alarm goes off and you push my hand away. You're not even facing a lion's den. You're just busy. It's eating up your faith. It's eating up your faith. It really wasn't the lions den. That's you know so let's let's kind of think of Daniel 6 from now on. It's really not the story of the lions den. It's the Lord's den, isn't it? <laughs> right? It's the Lord's den. God rules over lions' mouths. God rules over fire. Because he's the righteous creator and he doesn't just create and then step back to let it run itself. He continues to rule over all he has created. He's created the lions. They like to eat He just snaps his finger and says, not now. (laughs) You should see, there's so many things that we read when we're studying and there's so many things that are like, oh, that's bonkers. One of the the people said, you know, maybe maybe the lions just didn't like a kosher diet. (laughs) Well, Well, the king was fasting. Maybe the lions were fasting. I mean, just so many things. God shut their mouths. God made fire to burn, except when he tells it not to. And so Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, God is saying, now fire, don't burn. Isn't that that wild to think about? It's awesome. What a God we serve. And the the text goes in verse 23 and it says, no harm had come to him because he trusted his God. But please don't don't think he trusted his God. Once he got into the lion's den, that's when he started trusting. When When was he trusting? Three times a day before an open window, praying to the Lord. That's where this life comes from. That's where this life comes from. Daniel did not know whether God would deliver him from the lions or use the d- lions to deliver him to his heavenly home. <laughs> Daniel's hope was not in an act of deliverance by God. His hope was in the character of God and the faithfulness of God to keep all those he saves. Daniel believed in God's power, but his hope and his trust were in his providence, in his loving providence. The Lord, guys, will not always save us from suffering. But if we go through suffering, you know he will save us through that suffering. Just like James says in the New Testament, just like gold is refined by fire, God-given faith is refined by fire too. And it only makes it stronger. He saves us through suffering. And the one who was truly innocent was raised up from the pit. There's judgment in this story too, isn't there? And the ones who were truly the guilty ones were thrown into the pit. And in judgment, God says, lion's mouths open. Darius says, he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Oh my goodness, we on this side of the cross, we should tell Darius, oh, you don't know the half of it, dude. You don't know the half of it. So here's how we close. I keep reminding us that this book is not intended for us to dare to be a Daniel. Because just in chapter six, let alone chapters one through five, my life is a testimony of how much unlike Daniel I am. Even if I wanna be. I can never be Daniel enough. So moms, you can never be mom enough. We we could never be Daniel enough, right? To please God. I can never be husband enough. I can never be dad enough or papa enough. I can never be pastor enough for you. I've fallen so short of having the prayer life of Daniel. I've forsaken prayer, not because death is staring me in the face, but because I have other desires. I just want to do other things. That's staring me in the face. And that's why Daniel is such a wonderful gift from God to us, because it points us beyond Daniel. That's what the point of the text is. This is to point us beyond Daniel to someone way better than Daniel. Someone Daniel placed his faith and trust in. Someone who is more than enough. And you know who that is. Daniel points us to Christ, who is more than enough to save us from our sins, to satisfy our soul's, with his love for to forgive us of all our trespasses to give us a righteous standing before God to welcome us into his family, his sons and daughters and the one who can empower us to have a a growing prayer life, to have a devoted life to him. Not because we're trying to be like Daniel, but because we're being transformed into the character and mission of Jesus. Did anybody see how Daniel points us to Jesus? Christ would be the victim of a conspiracy against him and falsely accused of any true crime. Daniel was pointing us to to him. Christ would be betrayed by people close to him who were jealous of him and found him to be a threat to their jobs and status. Like Daniel, Christ gave thanks to his father even though a horrible death was awaiting him. Like Daniel, Christ was arrested in a place of prayer Like Daniel, Christ was silent and made no defense in the presence of his accusers. Pilate said that he found no fault in Jesus, just like Darius found no fault in Daniel, though both would give in to popular opinion and ultimately sentence them to death. The people said in front of Christ that they had no king but Caesar, just as the people said to Darius that they had no king but him. Jesus would be sealed in a tomb by a stone being rolled over the front entrance, just like Daniel was sealed in the lion's den. Oh, but the news is better with Jesus, isn't it? Unlike Daniel, and far greater than Daniel, Jesus was not placed into a pit to experience protection from death, but was thrown into the tomb because he had already suffered horribly and died for us. Jesus would be greeted by an angel when he rose again, just like Daniel was ministered to by an angel. And to the surprise of everyone, when the stone was rolled away, Jesus was alive. Just like Daniel, but far better than Daniel. God rescues us from a judgment worse than Daniel's by coming into that judgment for us and on our behalf. Jesus was not protected from death. He actually died as the payment for our sins, and three days later rose again for our justification, proving that he is enough and that faith in him is enough. And now the power to change comes from his uniting his life to us, not by us daring to be a Daniel. Would you stand?